Okay, I got my space heaters turned off again. I should just set part of my house on fire to keep warm. It'd be like one of those fireside chats that FDR used to give. But anyway, I'm going to try to make this one a little bit more meaty. I don't know I really cock-teased that last one. So I'm going to put a little I'm going to read a little bit more. I'm really lazy and I don't like reading aloud for a long time, but I'm going to make this happen tonight. And also, as always, I got to tell you that this is very profane and vulgar. I mean, even by my standards, it's a bit excessive. It's a bit much. But this was my first draft, and I wasn't going to edit it at all, because I'm lazy. Well, as I left you last time, the Donner Party left a month and a half after the ideal time they should have left Missouri. And it just snowballs, a shit snowball from there. But go ahead, and we're going to go ahead and get back into it. <clears throat> and at this point, I pause for a second to make something abundantly clear. This story involves a bevy of characters. I'm not Wikipedia. I'm not going to name off my full cast. I will introduce individuals involved when it is pertinent. I can't account for every time somebody takes a big, runny, travel, dysentery dump in the woods. I will mention people when they are primarily involved in an event. Some people are referred to as their surname or their relation to other main characters. Some people won't even be mentioned by name at all. I can't be bothered to look all that shit up or copy and paste the list. It would be extra boring anyway. Everybody brought a million kids with them. I mean, shit. If someone says something interesting or does something interesting like dying and getting eaten, I'll let you know. Tuberculosis took James Reed's mother-in-law early in the trip. She was sickly and old, but tagged along to consume precious resources and be dead weight until she was real dead weight and was buried along the trail. See, nobody gives a shit. So I'll emphasize a person's existence if it suits my storytelling. James Reed was no slouch in the old school hardiness department. Now you're going to you're going to need to watch this guy because he has like a whole hero's arc. It's like pretty it's pretty cool. James Reed was no slouch in the old school hardiness department. He was a veteran of the Black Hawk Wars alongside old Abe Lincoln. He was hard-bitten and successful already. He was also an early American arrogant ass and couldn't be reasoned with once he made up his mind. History would not reflect kindly on some of his decisions made as shadow leader of the group. He's one of the most primary characters in this story. I'm telling you, keep your eye on this guy. Archetypal Hero's Journey Being the trailing caboose of the wagon train of somewhere around 500 wagons that were westbound and down, the original party fell in with other families, most notably the Graves, Eddies, Murphys, and the Breens. It wasn't just the families among the travelers. There were wagon teamsters, servants, cooks, other employees, bachelors, and other solitary travelers. 
Out of the 87 definitive members of the Donner Party, 46 would wind up dead before the whole ordeal officially ended with final rescue efforts. The frontier can be boring when sailing is smooth. So obviously, looking for distraction, there was a whole lot of fucking going on. Since the California Trail isn't prime real estate in which to squirt out spawn, there were birth control efforts. The women would trade makeshift vaginal sponges and other remedies. When a woman did get knocked up, she wouldn't know she was with child until the quickening, you know, feeling movement and kicks. So in desperation, sometimes they would vigorously exercise to elicit a miscarriage. Sometimes the physical demand of travel would do the trick. Other times, women would commission the assistance of a strong man to manhandle her a bit until it happened. Now, if you think that's dark, just strap the fuck in. Like, you're going to need to put on rubber panties. There were other distractions on the road. Some folks were natural entertainers and were performed to the delight of the others in the wagon train. Jay Fostick was a fiddle player that would make for musical enjoyment on the trail. John Snyder, teamster under the employee of the Graves family, was a popular party member. He would do a wacky wagon dance to the amusement of many. These guys were both well-liked and provided much-needed escape for the bored and weary travelers. But that's not the most interesting detail about either man, so stay tuned and see how it panned out for the party artistes. Jean-Paul Sartre wrote in No Exit that hell is other people. The members of the Donner Party would tend to agree. Tired from the trip, familiarity was breeding a lot of contempt. Everyone became tired of their constant travel companions. I don't blame them. People are annoying as hell, especially in large doses. The eagerness to get to their destination grew every day as everyone was so anxious to separate entirely from the rest of the pioneer assholes. Hastings belittled the threat of hostile natives in his guide. He assured the landscape was adorned with feather headdress-wearing cadavers, and all the Indians had succumbed to the European diseases that the early settlers had so graciously bestowed upon them. Well, this was more bullshit on Hastings' part, as the natives were anything but sparse. The Pawnees would join the action, stealing cattle and killing one member of the party. Pawnee use would make a sport of just robbing the party. they just make a game out of it, just stealing shit from them. Yes, the natives were still out there, alive and very active. Interaction with different tribes was a crapshoot. Most were just indifferent to the travelers. Some were kind and helpful. Some were violent and treacherous. But they all seemed to know that this motley crew of pale faces was doomed. As if the Pawnee attacks weren't ominous enough or circumstantial evidence of Hastings' blatant falsehoods, Reed would be repeatedly warned of what was ahead. Reed and company would encounter someone from Reed's past. A few horsemen rode up and Reed saw a familiar face among them. It was his old wartime pal, James Kleiman. Kleiman was a renowned explorer and mountain man. He had served alongside Reed and Honest Abe in the Black Hawk War. Kleiman, visibly beaten and dirty by his adventuring, had just come from taking 
the Hastings Cutoff. In fact, he had traveled the cutoff with Hastings, and it was Hastings' first time taking his patented shortcut. And when Kleiman looked upon Reed and the litany of vulnerable families he had in tow, now knowing that they planned to traverse the hellscape he had just got through barely, he adamantly warned against taking the cutoff. His eyes, locked in a thousand-yard stare, showed evidence of mild PTSD as he described the labyrinthian maze of canyons made by the Wasatch Mountains, the horrendous heat of the Salt Lake Desert, and the treacherous snow cliffs of the Sierra Nevadas. So Reed, being a rational and sensible man, listened to his old friend who was an expert on the frontier travel business. He decided to lead his party down the beaten path, and they made it to California without issue. Everyone struck it rich in the West, and they all lived happily ever after. Ha! Just kidding. Reed ignored the warnings of his old trusty friend. A man who would likely pop up if you googled mountain man and was an authority on all travel through America's untamed locales. After all, he had this pamphlet written and circulated by this dandy douchebag charlatan Lansford Hastings, a man he didn't know from goddamn Adam. The pamphlet had already lied to him, but surely it wouldn't lead him astray again. As if James Reed, whole field of vision, wasn't already awash vermilion with red flags. Another metaphorical crimson banner would be spiked right in front of him. Lansford Hastings, having now actually experienced his brilliant shortcut firsthand, realized it was a king-held, dangerous, and nearly impossible nightmare for a legit and proper wagon train. In an attempt to save some face, he commissioned able-bodied frontiermen and scouts to help the travelers make it through. He sent out a scout to hand out the letter explaining he would wait at Fort Bridger with an escort crew that made it to Reed Donner et al. Now at this point, even the most hard-headed of people would start to reconsider. But the party, perhaps stricken dumb by road wear and impatience, still opted to take the shortcut. The traditional California trail would get them there by September. But the hate and disdain amongst the members of the party burned hotter each passing day, and September wouldn't be soon enough to bid adieu to these insufferable twats. The cutoff was supposed to shorten their exposure to their contemptuous road acquaintances by 350 miles, give or take. George Donner's old lady, Tamsin, would be the only one to object she thought Reed should take advice from his old friend from Times of War, using Hastings' fallacious guide as toilet paper, and follow the wagon tracks of so many trekkers that predated them. Also, Tamsin was a woman, and if you go back just 50 years, and even the most progressive of societies, you will find that the thoughts and opinions of cockless individuals was considered worth its weight in dog shit. So while mo- most of the wagons wised up and took a crucial ride at the Y, our fateful party took a left towards Fort Bridger. July was more than halfway over at this point, and George Donner would win the popular vote for party leader, but anyone who half-assed knew the score knew James Reed would be the ultimate decider on any serious matter.
Okay, so the gang made it to Fort Bridger, and lo and behold, Hastings was not there, keeping consistent and true to his credibility. He and those under his employ bounced already. They left with a larger wagon train just ahead of the party, crawfishing on his promise of escort. But hell, who could have blamed him? He wasn't deluded enough to buy his own bullshit, and knew his shortcut was thoroughly shitty and kind of just wanted to mosey back to the creature comforts of California. More warnings would come from a journalist that rode ahead. He, not being an abject fucking moron, saw that this route was dildos, and he went he wrote back to Fort Bridger about it. Jim Bridger, who ran the outpost and general store at Fort Bridger, would stand to lose some money if the cutoff lost its notoriety. So he kept that letter to himself and told the Donner Reed party that it was a smooth ride on to California. So he could sell a few more pelts and other bullshit. Jim Bridger lied his ass off. For a few dollars more, he would contribute to the deaths of 46 people. Oh, boy. Two days into this part of the trip, where it all went to shit, a 13-year-old boy would suffer an accident. His horse would stumble into a prairie dog hole and throw the boy. The boy landed badly and gruesomely snapped his leg so violently that the bone ripped right through and protruded from the flesh of the child's leg. As far as life on the range goes, this was an absolute death sentence. Riders were sent back to Fort Bridger to get help. They, of course, probably couldn't find a physician on the trail, as if a physician in those days were worth two shits. At best, the boy could expect to be deformed and or crippled. The riders returned with a big, hairy, grizzled mountain man. His qualifications were unknown but he was eager and had the tools. They got ready to amputate the boy's leg, but his parents couldn't bear the sound of his screams of protest and fear of the prospect and aborted the plans and paid the mountain man for his time. The mountain man packed up his meat and bone saws and left $5 richer, but visibly crestfallen that he didn't get to showcase his skills. The wagon train would follow the ruts left behind by the groups that Hastings had departed with. They would come upon a note posted by Hastings himself. The note declared that the road ahead was impassable. Unsure of what to do next, they sent a rider ahead who actually found Hastings. He asked where they should go from there. Hastings had no earthly fucking idea. Clueless, he climbed a hill where he could see a limited distance and just pointed in a direction. His advice would have the accuracy of drawing a cardinal direction from a hat. His suggestions would turn out to be even worse than the previous trail. The party entered the Wasatch Mountains. This part of the trip was supposed to take a week. Our merry band of imbeciles turned it into 16 days. Along the way, James Reed, being his conceited, chode self, christened the path Reed's Gap. They would make it through the mountains eventually. The task would entail carrying wagons, moving oxen and other livestock one at a time, clearing copious amounts of brush, and just having to move whole ass boulders. The group would come along 
One of Hastings' lovely notes. This one was barely legible or intelligible. It roughly read, Two days. Two nights. Hard driving. Cross desert. Reach water. Oh, that's not worrisome or concerning at all. Over the next hill, the party would be introduced to the Great Salt Desert of Utah. This desolate landscape was void of potable water. Any water found would rival Ipecac and its ability to induce vomiting. This leg was supposed to take five hard days and cover a hard 40 miles. Our gaggle of idiots would find a harder 100 miles that would take an even more grueling two weeks. Oxen and cattle, dehydrated and exhausted, began dropping like flies. Subservience subsided and self-preservation kicked in as some of the livestock bolted at the first opportunity to find water. Wagons would be abandoned, having been stuck fast in the gunky mud that would manifest from the undrinkable fluid that would rise from the ground during the daytime. Everyone felt like they were dying, and they were completely miserable and fatigued. They trudged along, skin blistered, lobster red, lips cracked and split open. The smell of the group was outrageously bad as folks were covered in their own piss and caked with their own shit. The women added to the bouquet with the fragrance of stale menstrual blood from free bleeding and the yeast factories housed in their downstairs. Let's look at some more notable statistics. Now at this miserable and hopeless point of the journey, the Donner, Reed, etc. bunch were on day 68. The other wagons that took the ride at the Y and stayed on the standard Oregon Cali Trail had reached the same point in travel in 37 days. Those taking the original trail had got this far a month faster. As for the shortcut, it and execution did not shave off 350 plus miles. It added 125. Tension was running at maximum capacity and everyone hated everyone, themselves and everything, and life in general. Thanks, Reed. Remember John Snyder? The wagon dancing teamster that everybody loved? Well, as if everyone hadn't turned on Reed yet, an altercation involving group favorite Snyder would seal public opinion. Everyone hot and angry were begrudgingly continuing travel and sheer existence. Snyder at the reins of the Graves wagon got tangled up with a teamster on the Reed's wagon. Pissed off at the extra hot labor that entailed the the entangled reins made. He took the handle of his whip and hammer fisted it into the crowd, into the crown of Reed's teamster. Reed, enraged, plunged his knife into the neck slash chest of John Snyder, fatally wounding him. He would wagon dance nevermore. Being past the Continental Divide meant there was no established law of the land. A vote would be performed to decide Reed's punishment. Many wanted to hang the bastard. He murdered another traveler, and besides, the whole current mess was begat from his stubbornness to listen to reason or heed warnings. Eventually, it was decided that he would be banished from the group with nothing but his horse. This was, in essence, a death sentence in and of itself. He wouldn't leave empty-handed, however, as one of his daughters snuck him some crackers and a couple of guns. 
something tells me that we haven't seen the last of James Rude. I get this feeling because I know the fucking story. Freedom from Reed's leadership was not a blessing. The group had now zero leadership and plans of action became splattershot and made up on the fly. The families became even more clannish and clicky. The me and mine mantra was stronger than ever. Which brings us to the sad story of one Mr. Hardcoop. Hardcoop was an elderly Belgian man who was possibly conscripted as a teamster for the Kesselberg family. He came to the U.S. to see the country. He had a farm in Ohio. He planned to return after seeing California, sell the farm, and return to his native city of Antwerp in Belgium to spend the evening of his days with his children. The wagons, having been stripped and emptied to lighten the load of the over-encumbered oxen, everyone was mostly hoofing it. Being an old fuck, Hardcoop began to struggle and lag behind, and no one was sympathetic to his plot because they were experiencing, experiencing it too. Food was scarce too, so he was shut out of luck getting any help in the sustenance department. He kept lagging further and further behind. He finally comprehended the futility of his endeavor. He was last seen sitting down in the Nevada desert between sagebrushes, the bottoms of his feet badly swollen, cracked, and bleeding, accepting his fate. Despite pleas of some of the riders who still had saddle horses to go retrieve the old man, they refused, acknowledging an obvious lost cause. Some riders were tasked with finding AWOL cattle and livestock to no avail, coming back even more tired, frustrated, and crazed, thirsty, and hungry. There were a few recorded accounts of a mad women camp. Um, it's a camp that historians surmised as a separate camp set up by angry and fed up wives and mothers. Oh, and more Native Americans came to play. Paiutes raided camps, stole cattle, and killed some of the animals with poison arrows just for the fuck of it. At night, they would gather around the camps and ominously laugh at the plot of these white devils. Despite times making uh, desperate times make desperate men. This will become even more true as the story goes on. Settlers would murder and pilfer the goods and valuables of others and blame it on the terroristic Paiutes. This murderous chicanery could be carried out in broad daylight. To clarify the logistics, one must understand that wagon trains are often misrepresented in the movies, where circling up in as a defense from threats was not possible at a moment's notice. Wagon trains weren't as tight as you'd expect. There may be miles separating a wagon from the next in line. The bunching up would occur at the end of the travel day where camp was set up. I've mentioned, and I should already it should already be understood, given that you're not an ignorant troglodyte, that all Native American tribes didn't have the same values, demeanor, propensity to violence, or capacity for diplomacy. A scout sent out would bring back two valuable human resources. Just a note here, their reason for value will change drastically later in the story. Keep listening. 
The scout would introduce Luis and Salvador, two Miwok guides. Upon seeing the ragged herd of human suffering that the party had become, they knew they had their work cut out for them. And, spoiler, this arrangement would spell demise for the duo. As for James Reed, he had just enough resources to survive and make it to California. He was oblivious of the well-being of his family and the group at large and had no idea how much they had lost and how little food and assets they had at their disposal. This was about the time of the annexation of Texas was taking place and the Mexican-American War was happening. He joined the fight. His participation would guarantee him some land in California, and he knew until the war business was over, he would be hard-pressed to gather men for all, any kind of rescue mission for his family and the party from which he was forcibly ejected. Besides, he needed something to keep him occupied as he bided his time waiting for his family to make it to Cali. The Donner Party arrived at Truckee Lake, near modern-day Reno. This was a common stopping point for pioneers before tackling the next part of the trip. Despite all the others who had camped there, Truckee Lake would later be dubbed Donner Lake, if that's any indication as to how dark and bleak things will get in the story from here on out. After all the shit that the group had slogged through the last and worst leg of the trip, the last grueling obstacle lay just ahead. The Sierra Nevada Mountains. So the Donner Party was ready to embark on the final challenges of the pilgrimage to California. They reached Truckee Lake in late October. Most years, this would be fine and dandy like sour candy. Usually the winter doesn't kick into high gear and until balls deep into November. That's cool and all, except for the fact that the snowfall would arrive a month early on October 7th. You can just imagine the smell of shat pantaloons upon seeing the mountain ranges already snow-capped. Upon waking the morning of the day, the advance team would set out. It would later be revealed that the party missed their window for relatively smooth travel and clear shot towards their destination by a piddly 48 hours. As for the advanced efforts, the advanced effort, they would be squashed at the start gate by freak snowfall. While they slept after just setting out, a Herculean blizzard came through. The white blanket would cover the crew. One member awoke and began screaming, he could not see anyone else in the snowy sea that obscured the ground. He thought the rest had abandoned him during the slumber. The advance team would have no other choice but to turn back. The Donner Party would have to defer the rest of their journey and make Truckee Lake their home for the time being. Okay, this is a full disclosure from your illustrious author. Boakaroa. Translated, Long Pig. Noun, among the Maori and Polynesian people, human flesh used as food for cannibals. The Donner Party had settled down for a break before moving on. I suggest we take a break here as well. You're going to want to catch your breath. I've researched and made notes, both mental and physical. I have compiled these noteworthy pieces of information and data into a notebook that I keep on me for various reasons like work and 
compensation for my bad memory due to head trauma and bad decisions. I made shorthand notes about anything that I felt bared retelling or suited my narrative, just clips and clauses. Some parts would only make sense to me. Sometimes they don't. Nary a complete sentence was written, but enough is there to let me know what to say. Now, to put things in perspective, I've written everything so far based on crude scribbles and obscure runes I carved into seven pages of notebook paper. I can be very efficient with taking notes, save the trees and all that jazz. You're probably thinking, us being at the cusp of the last leg of the dawn or death trip, that my my stack of notes must be dwindling. But think about something. Has anyone dined on Long Pig yet? Nope. I have 18 pages of notes remaining. Things are going to have to get a little more rapid fire at this point. You're almost, you're about to experience the most metal parts of the story. Seriously, a doom, death, or black metal band should make this story into a theme album. I'm going to try to speed things along after the break because I'm not writing a fucking book here. Well, I guess it kind of turned into that. It's still going to be long, but it will be anything but boring. I'm going to make the narrative a little leaner without omitting too much or trimming too much sardonic and sarcastic fat. Like I said, there's more individual stories of heroics, cowardice, good and evil, etc. than what I'm going to cover. I'll leave the further research to you. For instance, sometime in November of 1846... William Eddy borrows a rifle from William Foster and kills a fucking 900-pound grizzly bear. He would wound it, evade its attacks while reloading, shoot it again, and then perform the coup de grace with a fucking tree branch. Fed the group for weeks. This story significantly pales in comparison to the shit I'm getting into. Strap in, folks. The rest of the ride is bumpy. And the bumps you'll feel are human remains. Okay, I'm going to stop there for this one. I hope you come back and listen to the next one. But I think that's a good stopping point. We'll get into the real nitty gritty next time, I promise. Thank you for listening.